We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. As you know, we've been studying the life of Moses over the past several weeks. And we found ourselves last week where God calls Moses from the burning bush. Now to set the stage for you, God is still having a conversation with Moses out of this burning bush. And we saw at the end of chapter 3 last week that Moses had just begun to come up with what some would call reasons, but we're going to call them what they are, excuses for why he couldn't serve God. Now, every one of us know that we live in a world filled with excuses, amen? It seems like everywhere we turn, people have an excuse for everything. Politicians have an excuse for why they didn't tell the truth. Athletes have an excuse for why they didn't give it their best effort. Students have excuses from time to time about why you didn't study or why something didn't get turned in on time. Employees have excuses for why they're late or why they didn't show up or why a work assignment doesn't get done. Excuses seem to be prevalent not just then, but now. But I like what D.L. Moody had to say about excuses. Moody said, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men to sleep in. I'm going to say that quote again. Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men to sleep in. And so today, I want us to spend a little bit of time talking about not only the excuses of Moses, but the same excuses of Moses are the excuses that every one of us use today about why we can't engage in certain things, why we can't serve the Lord, why we're not willing to get involved. And so I want you to see in this text how incredibly practical it is as God is continuing to have this conversation with Moses. He's calling him from the bush, and we see in this chapter, the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, our big idea this morning. And that big idea is this that none of our excuses as to why we cannot serve hold water with God. None of our excuses as to why we cannot serve hold water with God. Let's discover that together as we stand and we read Exodus chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1 together. Remember, the conversation is coming from the bush, and Moses answered, it says in verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord didn't appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become like blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But, Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Lord, teach us over the next few moments that none of our excuses as to why we cannot serve you hold water. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated this morning? Everybody needs a little catch-up. We all need a little bit of review sometimes, and you did so well last week in looking back that I want to give you the opportunity to do that again. I want you to look with me at the end of chapter 3, and I want us to remember what the very first excuse was. We talked about this last week, but we're going to talk about four excuses. We covered one last week. We're going to cover three more today. But last week, we talked about the first excuse. And if you go to verse 13, you'll remember what Moses said. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What was Moses' first excuse? You may remember from last week, his first excuse was that I can't answer all their questions. I don't know enough. I don't have enough education. I had not been schooled enough. I, I don't even know what to tell them your name is. And that's when God says, you tell them that Yahweh, I am who I am, is the one that sent you. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is Yahweh. The name of the Lord is announced in Exodus chapter 3. And it is the very primary reason that gets rid of the very first excuse. And we should have really been able to stop there. Because when he says, my name is Yahweh, I am who I am, that should have been reason enough. You are going in the name of the Lord. Students, graduates, listen to me. When you go to whatever it is you're going to do, whether it is you're going to community college or a four-year university or whether you're going to work, whatever your plans or your aspirations are, you don't go alone. Certainly many of you have family and friends that are going to support you. You have a, a church that loves you. But you go in the name of Yahweh. You go in the name of the Lord. And that just doesn't go for graduates. That goes for all of us. That the greatest excuse that any of us can have, that we don't know enough, that we're unprepared, God breathes into your life and says, but the first thing you need to remember is that you have me. And if you have me, you have enough because I will meet your every need. The greatest excuse that we have that we can't do anything because of you fill in the blank. The greatest answer to that question is I know the great I am. I know I am who I am. I know Yahweh. I know the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that is able to remedy that first excuse. But he doesn't just stop there, because in chapter 4, we, we start with our text today, and, and he gives the second excuse. Look, look with me at verse 1. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me, and they say, the Lord didn't appear to you? 
What if they think I'm a liar? What if they don't think I'm credible? They haven't seen me in 40 years, and the last time they saw me, I was murdering people and burying them in the sand. It's conceivable to me that I might show back up, and they might say, the Lord didn't show up to you. You didn't see a vision. You didn't see a bush burning. God didn't commission you. God didn't give you his name. We don't believe you at all. He simply says the second excuse, nobody will listen to me. Nobody will listen to me. Everybody in here has felt like that at some point. Why would anybody listen to me? Part of the reason that a lot of students don't stand up for the things of God is because they're afraid that nobody's going to listen to them. But it's not just with students, it's with all of us. Pe people aren't going to believe me, what I say. They're, they're not going to believe I'm credible. Maybe they won't believe I've had an experience with the Lord. Especially the people that know me. And the people that know my past. And they know where I've been. And they know what I've done. And they know what relationships I've been in. There's no way that they're going to believe me that I had this conversation with God. That I had this experience with God. They're not going to believe me. Now Moses, when we picture Moses, a lot of times we have these pictures that are, have come up in our mind, but he's no different than anybody. In fact, some of you right now, you look fantastic, you look confident, you're ready for your freshman year of school. But I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we know where they are. They're nervous. They're a little bit scared. And maybe you're not. I was. Maybe you're a little scared of the change, even though for the last year you spent it saying, I've got to get out of here. I'm ready to get out of this place. Well, all of a sudden it's here, right? Now what? And we find ourselves at times, I think, realizing that it, it's not odd that people would fear ridicule. He, Moses didn't want to look silly. He didn't want to look like a fool. He was scared to death that people were going to laugh at him. Yet, he denies God's already clear promise that they would listen to him. And I want you to underline two words. It says, Moses answered. And in the NIV, what are the next two words? It starts off with a quote. What are the next two words that Moses begins with? Well, not, not the end of the sentence, just the first two words. What are they? What if? What if? Let's just stop. Can we stop there for a minute? What if frogs had wings? That if is a dangerous word. Because you can conjure up all kind of scenarios, can't you? Oh, oh, what, what, what if I show up at school and I, I don't meet any friends? Or, or, or what if I don't do well in my classes? Or, 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 or what if I'm picking the wrong major? Or, or what if I'm not going into the right career? Or, or what if I don't meet the right people? Or what if I don't find someone? Or what if, what if, what if? What if I try and I fail? What if... How many of you at some point in your life, students but everybody alike, how many of you at some point the what if monster has jumped all over your back? And you didn't do something, you did nothing because you were scared of what might happen. What if this happened if you actually attempted something? Well, what I'll tell you is that nothing is going to happen if you don't do something. And there's a lot of people that are apparently okay with doing nothing in the service of God and nothing in their life because they've spent all of their life talking about what if something else happens. I'm going to tell you, here's, here's your warning. College students, high school students, and by the way, everybody else can listen. Bad things are going to happen. 
Negative experiences are going to happen. Not everything is going to work out just like you want it to. But that being said, it's still worth it. It's absolutely still worth it. And living for the Lord and serving the Lord and not allowing worry to come on you every time that something new comes into your life. Because there are people that see things as opportunities to see what God has in store for them for the future and other people that get locked down by anxiety and get locked down by worry. Do you know that you can worry so much about what might happen that you will ruin both the present and the future? How many of you just, and students, even junior high students, you've, you've already experienced this. But how many of you in here have spent a time of your life, maybe a short period of time or a long period of time, worried about something, significantly worried about something? Lost sleep over it, worried about it, anxious about it, all of those things, only to find out later on that you wasted a whole lot of time worrying about something that either never happened, wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be, or it ended up being something incredible and wonderful in your life, but it robbed you of the joy of the moment because you spent tons of time worrying about it. How many of you in here have done that? I, I, I'm raising my hand. Then why hadn't you learned? Why haven't you learned? You know that by now. And so what we know is that Moses comes and he says he's afraid that nobody is going to listen to him. I came across a study the other day and I, I found this interesting. Maxwell Maltz said this, 95% of people living today live with a strong sense of inadequacy. Let me say that again. 95%, that's 95 out of every 100 people live with a strong sense of inadequacy. Now, some of you hear that stat. Let me tell you what I thought when I read that stat. What's wrong with the other 5% of people? Who are the people that are walking around feeling like they've got it all figured out, that they're adequate to every challenge, that they're smart enough and able enough and that they can handle it all? I believe almost every one of us in here, we put on a good face, but we know exactly what those 95% of people feel like because we are that 95% of people. We don't often feel adequate to meet the challenge, so we come up with this excuse, nobody's going to listen to me. And so God gives him an incredible command. The next few verses, verses 2 through 9, I mean, this is incredible. He said, hey, that stick, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. Now, don't miss the significance of that, because when he throws it and turns into a snake, what we know is that the snake symbolized life, and it symbolized power to the Egyptians. So to be able to command a stick to turn back and forth into a snake and a stick would have been absolutely incredible, not to mention if Moses was anything like me, you throw a stick down and it turns into a snake, and the Lord now would have had a worse time convincing me. This is how I read the Bible. He would have had a harder time convincing me to pick the snake back up than he would of me going to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. 
So Moses bends down, picks it up, it turns back into a stick again. I'm thinking, you know what, I'm probably good now. All right, Lord, I got you. And then he sticks his hand into his jacket and pulls it out, and it's full of leprosy. He says, stick your hand back in your jacket again. He sticks it back in, pulls it out, it's perfectly fine. He says, by the way, if that doesn't convince him, go take some water, pour it on the ground, it'll turn into blood. Now, I like to try to place myself in these, these situations, in these narratives, and I would think that that would be enough, but then I think Moses is a lot like me because when it comes to excuses, he could come up with them because immediately he doesn't stop there. He comes up with his third excuse, excuse number three. Look at verse 10. Lord, I've never been eloquent. In the past or since you've spoken to your servant, in other words, even in this conversation, I haven't been very eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So first he said, I can't answer all their questions. Then he said, nobody's going to listen to me. And now he says, I don't have the right skill set. I'm not adequate. I'm no public speaker. I get nervous. I can't think of what to say. It doesn't come out right. Some people have conjectured that he had a speech impediment. I, I don't know that we can get that from this text. But we do know that he obviously had trouble when he got up in front of people. So he's saying now, he said, look, there's, there's, there's just absolutely no way. I mean, you know me. You're listening to this conversation right now. And God, if you're listening to this conversation right now, you know I don't need to go in front of a group of people. It's just not my gift. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. Now, what's so fascinating is the Lord gives him, uh, when you go to college next year probably, if not next year, you'll have to take it your sophomore year, but everybody has to take something. Different colleges label it different ways, but it's probably going to be Speech Comm 101. That's, you're going to go in, you're going to learn to write speeches and give speeches, and most of the time you have to get up in front of the class and you have to give a speech. That's part of uh, opening credits of college, and it should be. It's absolutely a necessary skill. But I want you to read God's version of speech 101, verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who makes him sight or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. As if the snake weren't enough, and the hand wasn't enough, and the blood wasn't enough, and the vision of God in a burning bush wasn't enough, and the name of Yahweh wasn't enough. He now gives him this promise that you don't have to be a great orator. You don't have to be a great public speaker. You don't have to, even if you have a speech impediment, I'm not asking about that. Notice, and I love this part of the passage. Most of the time with people, we've gotten to where we want to coddle everybody about everything. Have you noticed that? Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a pat on the back. Everybody deserves an A. Everybody gets told how wonderful they are. And it's a joke. That's a joke. Not everybody's good at everything. Not everybody gets a trophy. There's winners and there's losers. That's life. Sometimes you're going to do better than people and sometimes people are going to do better than you. And I like this passage because of the way that God dealt with him. Did you notice this? What does God look at him and say? I, I like the fact that God doesn't come out of the bush and say, hey, come here, buddy. 
He doesn't put his hand around him and say, you really are a good public speaker. You just don't think you are. You're really good at this. It's just a skill that you haven't realized. In fact, you're as good as this as anybody in the world. No, God never corrects him. He doesn't say, no, you're really good at public speaking. He doesn't even address that. In fact, God probably, from the text of this passage, believes Moses, hey, you're not very good at this. It's not your skill. It's not your forte. But I'm not calling you because of your skill. I'm calling you because of my skill. I'm asking you to do this because I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to give you the words. And sometimes God wants to use you not because of your resume, but in spite of your resume. Follow me on this. He will ask you to do things that you naturally would hate to do, that you would not think you were good at. Maybe you don't have a personality for it. Maybe you don't have the skill set at it. Maybe it's not your natural gifting. And then God asks you to do it, and you think, there's no way I ought to do that. But there's absolutely a way, because God wants to convince you that it has nothing to do with your skill and nothing to do with your ability and nothing to do with your intellect, so that when it's all over with, Moses doesn't get to stand on the, on the side of the promised land and say look at what my eloquent speech did no all he's able to do is point to the God of heaven and say the only reason this happened is because of God and the reason that God is calling some of you to do some things that are out of your comfort zone is so that as he does it through you you would take no credit and you would get no glory because he is the only one that is deserving of the glory so don't be surprised when he asks you to do things that you're not comfortable with I don't have the right skill set. Sometimes I think we do place far too much reliance on natural ability and not on supernatural experience. Moses fears Israel won't be able or won't be willing to follow when it's actually Moses who is unwilling to follow. Now it may be that you do have a deficiency, legit have a deficiency have a problem. Friends, I want you to know that sometimes God does things with people and you look back on their life and you say, wow, it's amazing what God has done. I think about some of my favorite old hymns. One of my favorite hymn writers is a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Blind. Some of you may have heard of a guy named David Ring. He's I love listening to him preach. He's got cerebral palsy, and he's never let it be an excuse. Maybe you've read books by Joni Erickson Tata, completely paralyzed from a car accident, and God has given her an incredible ministry. It may be that what you see as weaknesses, God can take those very weaknesses and use them to accentuate the fact that he is the one working in and through you and to remove that worry about your skill set. Number four. You would think at this point Moses would have finally said, okay, Lord, fine. But here we get down to the real issue. I mean the real issue, and it's in verse 13. In fact, Moses had saved this one for the end. Hey, when y'all are arguing with your parents, I know none of you ever do that. But just kind of hypothetically, let's just pretend like that happens at some of your houses every now and then. Do you normally start off with your strongest argument or do you save that one to the end? Do you kind of give the best reason you've got right at the beginning or do you kind of save a bullet towards the end? 
I think Moses, what he did, he ran out of the really good arguments, and so finally he just threw something out there, but what he threw out there actually got at the very heart of where it was at. And look at what does verse 13 say? Oh, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. Let me give you excuse number four. Excuse number four. I don't want to do it. And that's really the heart of it, isn't it? I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I started off in Egypt, and I was educated in Egypt, and that was great. And I had this, I murdered this guy, and I've been on the run, and I spent 40 years here. And I mean, it's not much. I'm a simple shepherd. But look, God's given me a wife. I've got some kids. I've got a life out here. I was fine just to live out my days and to die out here in this desert. I don't need the stress. I don't need the problems. I don't need the worries. Leave me alone. I don't want to do it. Do you know that I think, think that that is the main reason that most people don't serve the Lord? It doesn't have to do with the other excuses we've given. It gets right down to the heart of the issue. I don't want to do it. People will tell you all the time, they'll give you all kind of reasons or excuses. I don't have the time. Everybody's got the same amount of time. Do you know that? Everybody has the same amount of time. You've got 24 hours a day and seven days a week, same as everybody else. I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the gifting. I, I wish it'd be so refreshing if people just got real honest. Like, if you're just going to be disobedient, just say, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to serve the Lord. I, I, I'm too busy. Well, then you need to drop some other things in your life. And he says, I, I just don't want to do it. Please send someone else, he said. I, I'm just not qualified. It reminds me so often we'll say things like, well, well I'll pray or, 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 or I'll give, but, but I don't want to do it because there's other people that would be better. I'm busy. My kids got a lot going on. I don't look the part. I haven't been trained. But the heart of the matter is not all of those excuses. The heart of the matter is that he doesn't want to do it. And then an interesting thing happens in this passage. Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. We miss that sometimes because God actually, though his anger burned, God relented. And he said, fine, you got a brother that's got a pretty good public speaking ability. Aaron's going to come. That part of the, we're finally the part of the passage that makes my eyebrows raise. I don't, this is when I go, what? Like, God's angry at him, but then he gives him an out. And that's always kind of surprised me. Why did God give him the out? Why didn't he say, no, you're going to be the one that does it? But he gives him the speech. He tells him that Aaron can talk, that it's going to be as if God's words are in Moses, and Moses can tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron can speak on behalf of Moses. And you say, well, this sounds like a great plan. Moses kind of, now he's involved, but he's got someone else who's got a better skill set. It was not God's original plan. God relented to it, but I want you to see that it caused major problems. Now, I want to fast forward. We're going to, we're going to see these things as we study Moses' life, but let me just give this to you really, really quickly. Aaron would prove to be an enormous problem. You remember this? Exodus 32. Moses is up on the mountain to do what? Get the Ten Commandments. What, is, what does Aaron do? 
He leads them into idolatry. He's melting down earrings and making golden cows for people to worship. Aaron was going to be a problem. It would be Aaron's sons, you remember in Leviticus chapter 10, that brought the impure offering before the Lord. And it would be Aaron that in Numbers chapter 12 tried to build a mutiny against Moses and take over all of the power. It wasn't that Aaron didn't have a good speaking voice. It was that God had called Moses to do a job And when we don't answer the call that God places on our life, yes, God can use other people. He is not dependent on you for His kingdom to be advanced. But if you don't do what God's called you to do, you're missing the blessing of what God wants to do in and through you. So you ask the question, does God need me? Absolutely not. If something happens to me this week, there'll be somebody else standing in this pulpit next Sunday. And they'll probably be better than I am. And I'm okay with that. And here's why. God doesn't need me to preach the gospel. Now, am I thankful? Oh, I'm thankful. I, had, I, I can't figure out why. I really can't figure out why. It's a great joy of my life. And all of the time I think, why didn't he pick Aaron? Why didn't he pick anybody but me? But when it comes to your life, if you don't do what it is that God is calling you to do, it's going to be you that misses the blessing. You that has the problems. You that doesn't see all the things that God wanted to do in and through your life. Follow God and don't depend on someone else's calling or gifting when He has called you. Sometimes that rebellious spirit causes the Lord's anger to burn. D.L. Moody. Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men to sleep in. But I want you to know today that if you really just study Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, I think every single excuse that you've ever brought before the Lord is contained in those two chapters of Scripture. And if you had to get right down to it, here's what it is. God is really not hosting a series of interviews. It's not like scholarship applications. Let's see who the best of the best of the best is. Because God's not as interested in your ability as God is your availability. And so what I want you to know is maybe it is that it's not just about serving the Lord. There's a lot of people that have never given their life to the Lord. And the reason is they think, well, I need to get things cleaned up or I need to get my life right or I I can't really walk with the Lord because of my past or because things I've done. That's an excuse. And grace takes away every one of those excuses and it beckons that you come to him. And it says that you ought to come and every excuse that you've ever got for not giving your life to Christ, it's a terrible excuse. It's an awful excuse. It's an excuse that you can ride all the way to hell if you so desire, but God doesn't want you to. So you come and you give your life to Christ. Maybe it is today that you're saying, well, I don't know that I can serve the Lord. I don't know in what capacity God's calling you, but if you're saved, he's calling you to at least something. He's calling you to something. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.